Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Planet Protectors podcast. Today, I had the honor of interviewing another amazing person that has contributed to the environmental world in an amazing way. Now, I am going to let you hear this interview, and it really is a great one. But before that, I'm just going to introduce who he is. So today's special guest is someone who has really made his mark in the world of podcasting. Being a certified marine biologist, he hosts the How to Protect the Ocean podcast that has over 1,400 episodes. He co-hosts the Beyond Jaws podcast, and he hosted the Toronto Zoo's Wild for Life podcast. He's also the Speak Up for Blue Network CEO. He's a person that wants people to know more about the ocean and how to conserve it. His powerful tagline, How We Can Live for a Better Ocean, has inspired many around the globe to take action. Please welcome podcaster and marine biologist, Andrew Lewin. First off, thank you for joining me today. You bet, man. I'm super excited for this. Thank you for asking me on. No problem. I'd like to start off with plastics. And we use plastics every day, and they pretty much are vital to packaging and maintaining the health and safety of the products that we use. But at the same time, according to WWF, by 2050, it is estimated that there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. So what is your view on how we are handling the plastic pollution crisis? And is there is plastics the problem or is it our inability to properly handle them so they don't end up in the ocean the problem? Yeah, I mean, the the what it, plastic pollution is a major issue. It's, it's probably, I always put it up there as like one of the top issues in the ocean. Uh, just to kind of give your, your listeners a, an idea of, of the problem is that if you think about anywhere you swim, anywhere you go, there is a piece of plastic in the ocean, right? So even if it doesn't necessarily have to look like a water bottle or look like, say, a light or plastic lighter um, or any kind of like plastic bag, what happens is that it gets broken down in the ocean from the sun and the salt water. So as uh, it's the longer it's in the ocean, the piece of plastic is in the ocean, the more it gets broken down. And to be honest, it gets even more dangerous when it's smaller because it has a larger surface area. And at that point, you see all the chemicals that make up the, the plastic, like petroleum and, and things like that, will start to leach out into the bodies of the animals that ingest it. So it's a it's a big problem, you know, and it, just because we can't see it. Uh, even though we can see quite a quite a number of it, a lot of the stuff that we can see is almost even is even a bigger problem. Uh, in terms of the way is is it it's always us that's the problem. When we look at the ocean and all the what I call the disturbances, the major issues, it's us. Um, it's it's our inability to understand the effect that we have on the ocean. You know, you and I could be drinking a. a a plastic, you know, water or a Gatorade or a vitamin water just while we do this podcast. Um, but we don't realize that, you know, being both from, from Ontario, we don't realize that that all that doesn't necessarily get recycled. And then, so once it, it doesn't get recycled, it goes into landfill. It could end up into a river system. And then that river system will lead to where in Ontario, at least to the great lakes gets broken down in the great lakes, eventually reaching the ocean or just staying within the great lakes causing a bigger mess, right? We don't realize it for us. It's, it's, you know, how long does it take you to drink a bottle of water, a bottle of Gatorade or whatever that might be. It could take maybe a few minutes. It could take a half an hour, but it lasts in the ocean for much, much longer than that. 
you know, we're looking at years in there. And so the, the, the devastation that can cause in just that one water bottle as it breaks down and breaks up can be just, you know, it could be a hundred times more than what we think. And so we need to be, we need to really think about what is convenient for us in terms of, you know, using plastic, whether that be plastic bags, you know, we talk about plastic straws, but if you just look around you, even in your household now, you look around and you're just like, oh, there's a lot of plastic in here, right? Whether it's single use or multi-use, there's a lot of plastic because it's easy, it's cheap, it's light. And so we need to change our behavior. We need to start using more reusable items and not even reusable items that are made out of plastic. We need to start going back to maybe glass or other material, stainless steel, that will help in making sure that we reuse items and not become so wasteful. Absolutely. And that is what, like, even the government of Canada of trying to phase out the single-use plastics, that is what we are moving to. And it's all good stuff to hear. Absolutely. And, and to be honest, that's what we're seeing, you know, um, we're seeing more governments start to really look at policies and regulations to ban just the single use plastics and get to that level. If we can do that, we're on, we're in a, a better, and we're at a better level than we were, you know, just a, like five years ago. Absolutely. So kind of switching gears to a different ocean issue, according to the World Bank, almost 90% of global marine fish stocks are now fully exploited or overfished. And the David Suzuki Foundation states that we've exploited fish stocks to levels so low that they can no longer be harvested. So this is all relating to the overfishing crisis. So what is your view on how we are handling the overfishing crisis? There is um, a big disconnect when we talk about commercial fishing. Um, and it's the way that we view it is you and I, as, as someone who, as people who are not necessarily in the fishing industry. Um, and then there are people within the fishing industry. There's people at like policy level and science. There's a big disconnect between the scientists who do the studies to say, hey, you know what? This population isn't doing very well because we've, you know, we keep going over the quotas or we're not managing or enforcing these fish, this fishing uh, area enough or this fish, uh, commercial fish enough. Um, and so there's a big disconnect between there because the policymakers have to deal with the industry and they almost like have to negotiate. So there's a great movie, a great documentary. Uh, I think it's called End of the Line. And it was done probably in the early 2000s by Oceana. And I remember a, a perfect example was the tuna fishing in the Mediterranean in Europe. And what they would do is the, the, um, the stocks would be assessed by the scientists and they would say, okay, you can take up to, you know, fifth, say 15,000 tons just for, just for a number's sake. And then the policymakers would be like, okay, we're going to just double that to 30 because we know that the fishing industry is not going to do it. So already they've doubled the number of catch of what is the minimum sustainable yield of the, of the fish. So in other words, if you actually only fish 15,000 tons per year, that fish would be sustainable. We would get the same amount the next year and it would, the populations would be fine. Right off the bat, the policymakers are doubling that. So there's no chance for this fish to rebound in the next year or the year after that or the year after that. Then they go to the negotiating table and all of a sudden it's 60,000 tons. So it's doubled again. That means four times of what it was the original minimal sustainable yield or minimal viable population for that fish. So just think about just in that respect, they're, they're not respecting 
you know, what the environment can provide just more on what they want to take in. And so right there is a great example of, you know, the disconnect between the science and the policymakers and the industry that needs to be fixed. Um, the other side of it is there are a lot of people who depend on fish around the world. You know, we have people who live, most people live along the coastline and, and we're not just talking about North America. We're talking about, you know, Asia, Australia, Africa, you know, Europe. A lot of people depend on that. And a lot of people will not only um, use fish for their own reasons, like for their own families, but they're using it to make money. And if they don't fish, they lose money. They don't eat. They can't send their kids to school. So that population, that part of the sort of the industry pretty much fishes fairly sustainably, maybe needing help here and there from other scientists and that's, and, and maybe even policy within there. But the, those are the people that really need to continue to fish and continue to eat with some help if they need it, you know, in terms of management. Um, but when you talk about like the big commercial fisheries is in the high seas and that's where there's no regulation. So none of the countries can really regulate it. There's no country that, goes, you know, there's no country that has legal authority over it. So you can pretty much do anything you want and get away with it. That needs to stop. We need to get better regulations within theirs. If we don't, we're going to see the continuation of these populations getting decimated, not only just commercial fish, but other like marine mammals, sharks, sea turtles, and so forth. So we're, we're not in a good place right now. People are working on it, but we need to work with a lot of these things. We need to work faster and we need to implement faster. Absolutely. And do you know how we can create these laws faster? Uh, more people need to care. Uh, that's, that's really what it comes down to. More people need to know about what's happening and more people need to put pressure on their, on their government officials. When we talk about international, like the international high seas, it's very different. That's at a, uh, the UN level. And so you, we need to make sure that our governments are doing things at a national level and a provincial level, but we also need to make sure they're doing something at an international, they're representing our country. Because you got to remember, politicians represent us. They don't represent their party. They don't represent themselves. They represent our needs, you know, the people who voted for them. So you can still question the people who are running in your area, right? You can still go with your parents and be like, hey, like, what are you doing for the environment? What are you doing for fishing? What are you doing for our fishermen and our fishing industry? And what are you doing for you know, our, our fishing policies internationally. And they should be able to answer that. If they don't, maybe that's not somebody we vote for. You know what I mean? Like force them to care, force them to, to, to take a notice that, you know, the voters are actually wanting this as a big deal. And oftentimes when it comes to politics and you look at what, what the major issues are running, you know, now we're starting to see climate change because it's too late. You know, we need to start getting that. It's not just about the economy, but it's about the environment as well. We need to show that we care about the environment more. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we, both of us are trying to do with our podcast. Just Absolutely. Try to create awareness and try to get more people to care. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So the next question is, do you think, you kind of answered this already, but do you think governments and organizations are doing enough to combat these issues? And if not, what would you do differently? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very, that's a very good question. Um, from the politics level is again, they care for, they, they should care for what their constituents, the people who vote for them care about. And what I've learned over my time, unless you make a big stink, unless you have a relationship 
with the person who's representing you at a federal, provincial, or municipal level, you will not get stuff done that you care about, right? Or it may not happen. You may care about the major issues and stuff, but the other issues that you really want, like environmental issues, you may not get that represented. Um, the other thing too, is if you can't do it on an individual level, you can use the NGOs, the, the nonprofit organizations like environmental, like WWF, Oceanic Canada, Nature Conservancy of Canada. There's a, there's a number of them, right? Trout Unlimited here uh, locally for us. Um, and you can get involved with them and you can talk to them. You can be like, hey, like, how do I, you know, how can I help? You know, how can I be like, I've got this podcast. You know, I love to talk about this type of issues. Like, how can I be the voice that can help you get stuff done? You know what I mean? A lot of times, like, you know, great, a great story is uh, there's a guy in the U.S. He's a he's he's a Ph.D., um, older, older man who has this organization. And what he does, his sole purpose is he takes an issue that's that's important to the environment. And he goes around, he says, say it's like a marine protected area in a, in a particular area in the U.S., say off, off Massachusetts. And what he'll do is he'll go around, he has this email list that he's built over time and time and time. And he'll go in and say, hey, tell me what you love about this area. Why is it important to you? We're trying to protect it. So we want to gather all your stories and protect. And so people will send in emails and stories and he will you know, put them on a thumb drive or print out some of the stories. And then he marches down to the White House and the Senate and Congress. And he talks to people individually. He's built up these relationships over his career, which is like 30 years plus. And he starts to talk to them. And, he, and, and you know what he does? He doesn't come in and be like, hey, you need to do this. He's like, hey, how's it going? I have this stack of papers of stories of why people love this particular area. And it doesn't matter if it's conservative, liberal, or Democrat, Republican. He just gives them to him. He goes, can you take this to the people who make the decisions? and show them and have them read through this because this is important to them, this area. And then he sits back and he's like, how are the kids? How are you doing? Like, how are you doing? And he makes it, he has this relationship with them and, and it helps because then they remember him. They know, they know he's friendly. They know he's got a job to do. They have a job to do. He may not get exactly what he wants, but sometimes they're going to, they're going to align you know, align with their values. And so, and it works, it, it helped get a marine protected area put in place, you know, back in the early 2000s. And so having that, that relationship with NGOs, having that relationship with politicians can go a long way. And I feel like we need to do more of that. Now here in Canada, I feel we need more nonprofit organizations representing the people, right? And not necessarily representing what they need for funding or like sending an email like, hey, if you give us 20 bucks, we'll do this. It's this is what we're doing. If you want to support us, that would be great. Um, and, and we need more. We need more people to look after. We need more organizations to look after the ocean and talk to the people more, like talk to us more uh, to find out what's important to us and to educate us on what's happening with policies, what's happening with regulations, all that kind of stuff and really break it down so that we know. Absolutely. And you have definitely started doing that with your numerous podcasts. Thank you. I try. I try. <laughs> so the next question is actually using one of your quotes. So what can people who are interested in marine conservation and who don't live near an ocean do to live for a better ocean? And are there ways for people like teens to get involved? Yeah, there are. Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, um, you know, if you're if you're interested in protecting the ocean, I think the first thing is you got to take a deep breath, 
you got to take a deep breath because it's a lot. When you start to, you know, peel out the layers of things that are affecting the ocean, it can feel like your actions as an individual may not help. You know what I mean? Because you look at the, the, the level of problems that we have, like climate change, overfishing, plastic pollution, these are huge problems and they can be overwhelming and they can actually affect your mental health. You know, a lot of conservationists have to go through that. We have to take a step back and just be like, okay, let's just take a deep breath and let's just be like, let's do this. And when you take a deep breath, you remember that that deep breath is probably due to the ocean. Every second breath we take is oxygen produced by the ocean. And so you're like, okay, how can I help? And I always say, what we have to do is, is really look at the way we, we grow up. Right. And, and when we, when we look at the way we grow up you can look at yourself and you can start looking around the house and, and look at what you can do as an individual, right. Or even as your family, you know, as a family unit and to say, okay, let's look around and well, let's look at all the stuff that could be considered wasteful that I don't necessarily need to have as wasteful. So if your family goes to the grocery store, do you use plastic bags? If you don't, that's great. You can move on to the next thing. If you do, let's take reusable bags or even like now they've got like, like cartons that you can take and you can always leave them in your car. So you always remember things like that will help because those can be used for a very, very long time. Uh, the other thing is you can start looking at sort of your containers that you use. Like, I used to drink out of a plastic, sort of like a protein shake water bottle. And that's plastic. I could use it for like a year, but then they would break and I'd have to throw them out and I would get another one because it was cheaper. Well, then I went out and I got a Yeti. Now, I'm not sponsored by Yeti, but I got a Yeti and it was more expensive. But I know this is going to last for a lot longer than a year. It's probably going to last me, I'm going to say five to 10 years, you know, because they're built better. They keep things... It, they keep things cooler. They keep things hotter. Everything is a lot better than, you know, a plastic water bottle. So, you know, I, I look at those types of things and, and that those are things you can change almost right away. The other thing is looking at behaviors like, do you get a lift to school or do you drive to work when maybe it's close enough where you can bike or maybe take public transit? All those things help in reducing your imprint on the planet. So for, you know, people who are interested in protecting the ocean, it starts with that. Then if you want to up your game after you've done all those things and maybe a little bit more, you can start to look for volunteering for organizations, you know, help them with their campaigns, help them, you know, you know, Blake, you can use them to help, to help, you know, be a voice for them. You know what I mean? You can have them on your podcast and interview them and just get their, their, you know, their voice out, their story out and what is important to them or what they think should be important to you and your listeners. And so when you start to volunteer, when you start to engage with these organizations, now you're starting to get more involved and more involved and you're starting to live for a better ocean in that kind of thing. And of course, you know, like, I don't know what you have planned um, for your future. Obviously, you know, communication is a, is a great path that you're already on. Uh, you might want to be a marine biologist. You might want to be a scientist. You might want to be, you know, a lawmaker or a policymaker. There's a lot of ways you can go and find which way that you can have the, the best sort of influence on what's important to you within within that industry, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a science route. It could be like a business route and starting a company that can help out, you know, help alleviate some of the pressures that are on the ocean. I just interviewed a, a company called uh, Finless Foods. So think about a fish without fins, so Finless Foods. And so it's like a plant-based tuna. It has the same consistency, tastes the same, same amount of protein, 
but it doesn't have, it's an alternative to, you know, pressures on the wild stock. So these are some of the things that you can do as you grow up, as, as you kind of go into the world and, and, and you want to have that kind of uh, impression on the world or that kind of influence on the world. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So this question is more geared to you. So what are you up to now? And do you have anything planned for the future? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a marine biologist by education and, and I've, I've spent, you know, 20 years in, in the industry doing research and working for government and, you know, being on the, on, I was, I was had a great opportunity to be on in the Arctic, do work in the Arctic, do work in the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic. And so I've had a great career as a scientist and I still consider myself a scientist, but now I focus more on science communication with a focus in, on oceans uh, and behavior change. So I have a podcast called How to Protect the Ocean. And that is, you know, very similar to what you're doing is I try to engage with people and try to tell people about what's happening with the ocean, how they can speak up for the ocean and what they can do, as you mentioned earlier, to live for a better ocean by taking action. And so that is sort of where I'm coming from now. Uh, this year, 2023, I've made a commitment to um, going back to YouTube and getting into videos, not only from a video podcast kind of thing. So taking the audio podcast and making it a video, but also making a little bit more um, detailed content, uh, more of like a narrative focus. So a lot of my stuff right now is uh, like a solo podcast where I just talk about ocean news and things that I think are important in conservation. But I also uh, want to do more narrative things. I do interviews as well, but I want to do more a narrative type podcast where I narrate a particular story integrated with interviews and maybe some B-roll footage and, and so forth to talk about, you know, interesting um, uh, issues, not only marine, but also, you know, wildlife. One of the issues that I have planned um, is to talk about this whole Ontario government and building in the green belt. Um, sort of situation that we have here in Ontario. It's not ocean related, but I feel like it's something that's important where, you know, we just ask what you can do locally or what people can do to feel like they're empowered to save the ocean. These are the types of things that can help save the ocean. The more green space that we have, the better we are, the better our rivers are, the better our lakes are, and the better our oceans are. So talking about how uh, this government can feel like they can take a piece of the green belt and build on it, even though it's supposed to be a protected green space, is a really important issue that people need to know more about and how they're getting around it, uh, whether it's legal uh, and how we can step up and be like, hey, you shouldn't be able to do this type of stuff. So I'm going to be working on things like that, more partnering with other organizations to get their stories out um, in a video format as well as an audio format. So it's going to be uh, an interesting few years coming up. Well, that sounds very exciting, and I will be sure to put some of the links that people can help find you in the show notes when this episode is published. That would be awesome. Thank you very much for that. Okay, so the next question is, what environmental initiative or initiatives are you most proud of, and what was the most successful one, in your opinion? Ooh, like that I've been involved in? Yeah. Um, to be honest, the most successful one is the podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily something that I focused on like a specific issue. Um, my podcast is, is very general, but it's focused on the conservation part of oceans. Um, I want to do that on, you know, for a reason, there are a lot of podcasts and great podcasts out there 
that focus on the education of what's going on in the ocean. So, you know, focusing on different species, you know, you know, sharks and how they swim through water and where they go and how they're distributed around the world and what they eat and how they eat and all these other different animals. And there are a, a ton of podcasts out there now when if they weren't around when I started, but now they're out there as podcasts are growing to inform people of, of sort of the things that live in the ocean and why they're important. Um, my focus was more on conservation. I wanted people to really understand why it's important to save the ocean, why it's important to us individually. Um, and so I wanted to, to have that, you know, that influence on an individual level. And I'm happy to say that I've been able to do that. Not necessarily, not necessarily with everybody who's listened, but people who listen, some people have quit their jobs and gone into the environmental field. I had a person who was in Australia, he was like a plumber, and he decided to uh, quit once he heard the podcast and, and heard about, you know, plastic pollution and on beaches. And he started an organization that cleaned up beaches and very successful and funded. And he was able to do that full time and feel more empowered and, and, you know, more satisfied with the work that he was doing. So that was great. I've had people who have gone back to do a PhD because they've listened to the podcast. They were inspired by the podcast. Um, we've been able to talk about a lot of interesting things and, and necessary things on the podcast that have to do with um, equality of working within the field of, of, um, of marine biology and marine conservation um, that has to do with, you know, people dealing with some major issues within the, the, the field, like working issues, um, you know, dealing with academia, dealing with how to, you know, grow a career and things like that. Um, and so I've been able to find out from different, you know, listeners, um, when they contact me of, of the influence that I've been able to have on them. And that made me feel important. That's something that was a goal I had when I first started my career, when I first graduated was I want to have an influence. I want to have an effect. I wanted to like my legacy at the end of my career, I can say I helped, you know, I helped people to understand more about the ocean and how they can help. That was, that's my big goal. I'm not here to judge, you know, we're all kind of stuck in this rut of wastefulness that we've been, that we've grown into and once we know more about it, then we can, we know what to do and we know how the solutions to it. So there's no judgment coming from me. It's more of let's get, let's do better and let's do better together. That's an amazing message. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. You bet, Blake. 